From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome, friends, to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you have decided to join us. A couple reminders. As you look forward to the new, new year, there's one thing I hope that you will consider doing with us. I hope you'll consider joining the entire Family Research Council staff in our Read Through the Bible. You can sign up. It's a two-year plan at frc.org slash Bible, and you can join that plan. We'll send you the lessons, the reading plan, and you can do what we do every day, building our lives on God's Word. Now, in addition to that, your contributions at TonyPerkins.com will be doubled between now and December 31st. Everything that we do here at Family Research Council and Washington Watch is made possible by friends like you. We greatly appreciate your support. And again, your support can be doubled between now and December 31st. Today on the program, this has been a tough year for President Biden. And we are going to talk to a pollster who can give us some insight on what has happened to President Biden's polls and perhaps what he can do about it. In addition, later on the program, is the Salvation Army going woke? Ryan Baumberger from the Radiance Foundation thinks so, and we'll talk about that with him. In addition, at the end of the program, what really causes inflation? And why is there such a disconnect between the right and the left on the best way to stimulate economic growth? Economist Stephen Moore will join us for that conversation. But first, yesterday, in laying out his latest plan to address the rise in COVID cases, President Biden acknowledged that fully vaccinated people can get the virus's latest strain, the Omicron variant, which seems to be the mildest, but also the most transmissible. But he continued to push for vaccine mandates, despite pushback against them. I know vaccination requirements are unpopular for many, not even popular for those who are anxious to get them. My administration has put them in place not to control your life, but to save your life and the lives of others. But another issue not getting nearly the same attention is also threatening people's lives. In fact, the leading cause of death for Americans aged 18 to 45 is not COVID, it's drug overdose. This year alone, the United States government has seized 11,201 pounds of fentanyl at the southern border. Here with me now to talk about all of it and more is U.S. Representative Pat Fallon. He's a member of the House Oversight Committee and the Armed Services Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Fallon, welcome back to the program. Joseph, how are you? Thank you. And before I forget, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas to you as well. What was your reaction to the president's remarks yesterday on coronavirus? You know, really, it's, uh, it would be baffling had it not been. He's been very consistent over the last 10 months. They're, his administration and their liberal allies are following fear, Joseph, and not science. Let's look at the, you know, the way they were handling the border. Uh, nobody could come to the country legally for the first nine months of his administration. From anywhere in the world, the northern border with Canada was closed. 
And yet the southern border was wide open. And the reason why they were closing all these other borders was because they said COVID was a dire threat and it was in a national emergency. And yet they allowed 1.7 million people to come to countries with low vaccinations, if any vaccinations at all, and then they wouldn't test them. And if they did and they tested positive, they would still send them all over the country via the taxpayer, you know, on the taxpayer's dime. That's not a way to spread or rather to fight a virus. It's a way to spread one. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but Americans, uh, he does not have the constitutional authority to force an American, any American, to put something in their body that they don't want to. That's the first and foremost. And they're wildly unpopular. Yes, Mr. President, they are. You know what else they are? They're illegal. Uh, Congressman, after two years, it's been two years that we've been dealing with this, and the speech that he gave yesterday was largely similar. Now, he offered a, a huge expansion in the, in the number of rapid tests, uh, half a billion tests that he wants to make available, make them easily accessible. But in, in large part, the guidance yesterday was similar to what we've been hearing for two years. Um, is, are you surprised that there hasn't really been much nuance? There's not a change. The guidance is not different based on your age, based on any comorbidities. Basically, we still have a one-size-fits-all approach yeah. to COVID. Does that surprise you? Yeah, it does, because it, it, clearly we know, again, following the science, that COVID really isn't a much of a threat at all to young people, particularly children 18 uh, and under, and there's there even quite frankly, if you're you're healthy and you're 30 years old, it's not much of a threat. It does start to become a threat as people age. And if there's comorbidities, as you just mentioned, what Joe Biden has been very good at, Joseph, is he's been very good at taking away our liberties, but not making us any safer. COVID is like the wind. So, again, let's be honest about the numbers, what people aren't reporting any good news. Like in Texas, I've been monitoring the hospitalization rates on a daily basis. And what I've noticed is over the last two and a half months, the hospitalization rates in Texas have collapsed and been reduced by 80%. That's great news. But the press doesn't report it because they want, you know, the splashy headlines. So the national emergency, the pandemic, is over. COVID's not over. And we still need to take precautions. But you need to do that as individuals. We have monoclonal antibodies. By the way, Joseph, one thing that's a big, giant scandal that no one's talking about is Joe Biden's administration, just for whatever arbitrary reason, decided to cut the monoclonal antibody supply that they were providing Texas a few months back. And, and people, I think, truly lost their lives because of that. Uh, we haven't given, they, they've never given us a valid reason as to why. Now, there is, I think, some good news today. Pfizer announced a COVID treatment pill that they think has tremendous success in reducing the severity. Of course, it can be taken at home as a pill. Do you think the additional treatments like this will ultimately lead uh, to policy changes in the way that the federal government's responding? Well, it should, because let's look at what we have. We have an effective vaccine. And again, I think that everybody uh, should make that choice, uh, whether or not they want to get it. I've had COVID and I got vaccinated, but that was my personal choice. So we have something that's effective in that regard. We have lots of people that have natural immunity. And then we've got this very promising antiviral treatment, as you just mentioned. And uh, then we have monoclonal antibodies if you do get COVID. And that should be taken right away. I would highly encourage anybody that gets COVID, particularly if they're over the age of 40, to get monoclonal antibodies. So this is something now. And then Omicron itself, the variant that's now predominant in the country, is less severe than the other, than Delta and the original COVID. So that's actually good news. Um, so again, the national emergency is over. So what Biden should do is take the lead and say, we need to live our lives. 
when we, you know what, if we took all the, all the highways and we said, you know what, the speed limit is going to be 45 miles an hour. Yeah, that would save lives, but it would also drive Americans nuts. So we all have to take certain risks to live our lives, and it's time to move forward and have some real leadership in Washington. Well, a lot of leaders feel otherwise. In fact, just today, the mayor of Washington, D.C., announced that you're going to have to show proof of a vaccine in order to get into a restaurant or a gym or in, indoor businesses beginning in January. So clearly, the, these two paths are diverging across the country in terms of how political leadership wants us to respond. But in the opening to the segment, we talked about the fentanyl problem. We talked about the fact that for Americans aged 18 to 45, the number one cause of death is not COVID. It's drug overdose. Is there a reason this issue is not getting more attention? You know, that's a great question, Joseph. It, you know, it's unfortunate that these big cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, Philadelphia, New York, to name a few, are really show me your paper cities. That's that's communism. Like, show me your papers. Is this 2021 or is this 1984? And they're regressing. The better treatments we have and the less risk COVID presents to us as Americans, the more they're hunkering down. For whatever reason, the left has embraced this whole COVID in, the, in this pandemic, and they just they are ignoring everything else. What about the fact that I've read several reports of cancer diagnoses from 2020 collapsing? Cancer didn't collapse. But diagnoses did because they were spreading so much fear and panic amongst the American people that a lot of people that should have gone and sought treatments didn't. So it seems to me in some perverse way that some folks on the left are perfectly fine with you dying, provided you don't die of COVID. And so you mentioned fentanyl. Well, let's let's be honest about things. The drug cartels have a GDP of somewhere between 30 and $40 billion. That's as, uh, as high as at some small nation states like Estonia and Latvia that are NATO allies of ours. And uh, it, it, it's ridiculous that we have allowed, as you just mentioned, over about 11,000 pounds of fentanyl. It's enough to kill seven, uh, every American seven times over. And 200, almost 200,000 pounds of methamphetamine has been seized at the border as well. Right. The, this, the southern border and the open porous border present a clear and present danger to our country. And people are losing their lives because it is so open. And to put a number on that, it is it's more than 100,000 Americans have died of a drug overdose in the last year, which is essentially a 30% increase over the prior 12-month period. Uh, no bones about it. This is a serious problem. Is this going to get the Biden administration's attention? You would hope so. And you know what we need to do, and great shows like your program, and from our perspective, we have a bully pulpit being a member of Congress, is to you know, tell the truth about what's happening, not only what's happening on the southern border, but what's happening to Americans. COVID is really, I analogize it to, it's like the wind, and you can't stop the wind. So you have to be smart in your individual choices. And we need to understand that, the, what are the, you know, COVID is the number three cause of death for folks over the age of 45. Well, what's the, the first cause? Heart disease. What's the second cause? Cancer. Let's address those as well. I want all Americans to live the most prosperous lives they can and the longest and healthiest lives they can. And it's not just COVID that gets us. It's other things. So let's take a realistic, scientific, dynamic approach to Americans' health. There in Texas, Governor Abbott has been making, making overtures, taking steps to try to complete the border wall himself with materials that the federal government has essentially abandoned. What can you tell us about that? <laughs> Yeah, I would. I, I really applaud the governor for doing that. 
And, and there are two large depots where a lot of these materials uh, have been have been stored. And for Joe Biden to sit there and waste the, the American taxpayers' money is absolutely criminal. This wall has been, in these sections of the wall, have been paid for. And the contractors were there ready to do the job. As soon as he took office, he threw an executive order out that said stop and cease all, all, border, all border wall construction. That makes no sense whatsoever. Putting a border wall up is one of the, you know, one, one part of a comprehensive approach to secure the border. We needed to finish it. It's worthless with holes in it, Mr. President. And then to have that material, that fine American steel, just sit there and rust and waste away. And they were allowing, I've heard reports of them allowing people to just pull, pull, pull up with their pickup trucks and take some of it away. This is absolutely, a, 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 it's horrendous, and it needs to stop forthwith. While the southern border has been largely open, the U.S. Capitol has not been. It's been closed mm -hmm. to tours for the public for the last two years. You're trying to open it back up. Tell me about that. Well, you know, when they put the walls up after January 6th, I thought that was very interesting. They put walls and fencing all around the people's house, the United States Capitol. They said because it was under threat. And as every day passed, that threat you know, literally collapsed to nothing. And then it was just all theater. And so I made a series of videos demanding that, and I said, Nancy Pelosi, then I would pound my fist on the wall and the fencing and say, tear down this wall. And, uh, you know, she eventually, six, eight months later, after spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a wall that was not needed, it finally came down. And so, and then to have the United States Capitol closed to the public makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's, uh, I, I, it, and they use COVID as an excuse for everything. Congressman Fallon? Yes, sir. We are out of time, unfortunately, but I appreciate you being with us very much. Appreciate all your efforts. Coming up, polling for Biden is not looking good. We'll talk about why when we. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, We'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, the Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, 
interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So glad that you have chosen to spend a few minutes with us. Polls released this week are showing a sustained decline in President Biden's approval rating. In addition, the public is giving the president poor marks on his handling of the economy, jobs, immigration, and now even COVID. In 45 states, more people disapprove of Biden's job performance than approve, according to a civics poll. And President Biden now sports the lowest net economic rating of any president at this point through their first term since at least Jimmy Carter in 1977, according to the latest CNN SSRS poll. Here with me now to talk about some of the other latest figures is Jim Lee. He's the president, CEO, and founder of Susquehanna Polling and Research. Jim, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Joseph. Nice to be with you this evening. It's good to see you. Lots of polls floating around. What's getting your attention? Well, what's getting my attention is that the civics poll you referenced is based on a rolling average of polling conducted independently in all 50 states. And their cumulative approval rating nationwide for Biden is 37 percent, which is one point different from our last poll for the Federalist released just a few weeks ago, where we had him at 36 percent. And that's striking, Joseph, because the we're now at the end of the first year of the Biden presidency. And I, I wanted to put this in perspective because I went back and looked at the last six presidents and their approval rating after one year in office. Biden is now dead last in seventh place based on the last seven presidents, including him. That's fascinating. He's even below Trump, who averaged 39 percent after his first year in office. Number one was George W. Bush at 79 percent, followed by his father at 78 percent, Clinton at 54 Obama was at 49%, Reagan at 47, Trump at 39, and Joe Biden at 37 or 36% based on our polling. That is so startling. I think it shows how soft his base of support is after just one year in office. If you were working in the White House, what advice would you be giving the president based on this polling? 
Well, I'd be telling him we got a problem in our base. When we looked at the change from Biden's approval rating, even with Democrats, Joseph, from August to November, just a three-month span, he's gone from an 87% approval rating with Democrats down to 61%. That means four in 10 Democrats in yeah. our latest poll refuse to even say they think their incumbent president's doing a good job. He's got a problem in his base, which I think is why the Build Back Better plan is such a setback for this president, because yeah. that was really teed up to be red meat to the base, and it's just not going to happen. You mentioned there the, the slide in support from his base. Is there a particular issue that you can connect that to? I think it's twofold. Um, the exit polling from the end of the 2020 election, Joe, showed voters that were concerned about COVID voted for Biden over Trump by a 15-point margin. We, COVID was, of course, the dominant theme of the 2020 election. But Biden's approval rating handling COVID, we had it at 51 percent. But our poll is stale in the sense that it was in and out of the field before the Omicron variant really started to surge in the last couple of days. So Biden's now underwater, even among voters who think COVID is the number one concern. And that has to be one of the fundamental reasons why he's lost so much ground. The other, I would say, was the pullout from Afghanistan, when we really started to see the slide with voters in his own party. Now, you mentioned that there's these, these different issues. There's the economy, there's Afghanistan, there's, there's COVID. Is COVID still the issue of greatest concern to the voters? It, it sure is. Um, three weeks ago, I had it as what I call the big three C's, COVID, crime, and cash, cash, cash being economic concerns about inflation. That's now changed dramatically since we've had this uptick in the new strain of, of, uh, of COVID. We're now seeing more and more concern with this new variant. Right. And it seems to be trumping all other issues, including the crime numbers we had that were very prominent in the last poll we did just a few weeks ago. So this president was given good marks early on for how he handled COVID, and it really stuck out like a sore thumb because his numbers on immigration, his numbers handling the economy, his overall approval rating, all have been very lackluster. But what was propping up the Biden administration was the trustworthiness that voters felt they had in this guy dealing with COVID because it was such a stark difference from the way Trump mishandled the COVID pandemic from a PR standpoint. That has now basically gone away for this president. He's now left with really nothing that voters can point to as a strong accomplishment from him in the first year. And they're losing faith that he has a real strong grasp of how to take us out of this pandemic. Jim, we've got about a minute left. We're looking at the midterms of 2022. How are these polling numbers going to affect what's gonna happen next November? Well, Republican incumbents and Republican challengers in 
swing districts that Trump performed well in will really be trying to make 2022 a refer referendum on the Biden presidency. And that puts them in a very good position to really be competitive next year. What we call the generic ballot, Joseph, when we asked Americans if the election for Congress were held today, would you vote Republican or Democrat? We have Republicans leading on that question, which is really surprising because we're still a year out from the election. We usually start to see the uptick closer to election day. To have Republicans winning the generic ballot a year before the election, I think is a real strong indication the political winds have shifted and it's going to be really, really a strong headwind for Democrats to run in next year. It is going to be Barring a very interesting year. And Jim Lee, Susquehanna, we are out of time, but appreciate you giving us the update very much. Thanks for being with us. Coming up, is the Salvation Army going woke? We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. I want to remind you to sign up for the Bible reading program with everyone at FRC. You can do so at frc.org slash Bible. Start off your new year in the best way possible with a Bible reading plan, along with everyone, all of your friends here at FRC. The website, of course, is frc.org. Org. In addition, to receive text updates, text the word STAND to 67742, and you can have all of FRC's updates sent directly to you via text message. That's 67742. Text the word STAND. Now, 
Earlier this month, the Salvation Army released a video to set the record straight after they were criticized for a guidebook on racism that was laced with critical theory concepts. The guidebook was then withdrawn late last month. Well, is the Salvation Army going woke? That's what Brian Bomberger thinks. He's the chief creative officer and co-founder of the Radiance Foundation. He is the author of Not Equal, Civil Rights Gone Wrong, and he recently published an article on how the Salvation Army needs to be saved from itself. Ryan, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, it's great to be with you. Hey, it's good to see you. Um, you. This article, you have some concerns about what's happening at the Salvation Army. Tell us what you found. Sure. I need to start off by saying I love the work of the Salvation Army. I've actually worked with the Salvation Army for years and years uh, as a speaker, as a volunteer. But what has been disturbing over the past few years is to see this leftward lurch toward the embrace of homosexuality, transgenderism, the embrace of critical race theory with their latest discussion guide. Let's talk about racism. And it's deeply, deeply concerning for an evangelical Christian church that says it only believes in the Bible to embrace these very toxic, toxic ideologies. Now, what did that handbook say that led to pushback and ultimately led them to withdraw it? Well, there were a lot of things that the, the guide said. I mean, the, the totality of critical race theory, I think, was presented in that guide. First of all, that racism is in every institution, that whites benefit from this racist institution. And then it called for, you know, lament and repentance, you know, but apparently the repentance only needed to come from people who were white. Uh, and of course, all the prophets of perpetual victimhood are in there. They promote Ibram X. Kendi, who doesn't even believe in savior theology. He believes in liberation theology. He doesn't believe in a savior, that we need a savior. So it's bizarre that the Salvation Army is promoting someone who is, who is presenting and spewing such venomous heresy. It just, it blows the mind. So the, the guide itself is full of so much misinformation about historical racism and present racism. We're not denying that racism exists and that it's evil, but it's not a biblical worldview. And I think you put your finger on an important point there uh, in the name of the Salvation Army. One of the, one of the important critiques of critical race theory from a biblical perspective is that they propose different solutions to the ultimate human problem. And critical race theory suggests that it's political revolution, that it's upsetting human institutions that will ultimately uh, say, um, save us or solve all right. of our problems. And of course, a biblical worldview has a very different solution. Now, You've mentioned a range of issues. There's CRT, there's LGBT stuff that you've talked about finding within the Salvation Army's uh, ideology. Are you surprised that these things come together? Am I surprised that those well, two issues come together? Yes. Uh, no, because this is this is the the issue, particularly with racism. You've had the LGBT movement for years and years riding the coattails of the civil rights movement and equating its fight with the fight of black Americans, people of my complexion for our, our very humanity here in the United States throughout history. And so it's so offensive to me as someone I don't have to come out as black. People know that 
I have brown skin, you know, but yet a movement that never had to, that was never enslaved, that never was denied voting rights, that was never had to go up and sit up in the balcony, you know, movie theaters or not be allowed to ride uh, in the front of the bus. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so it's not surprising that the two go together because the LGBTQ plus movement um, has to actually ride those coattails and, and, it, it really has to do with victimization. They have to portray themselves as victimized as, in the past, black Americans. Ryan, we've got about a minute left. In the, they've withdrawn this handbook. Do you think that's an indication that they're reconsidering their perspective, or are they simply trying to deal with the public backlash? It's the end of the year. The Red Kettle campaign is in full effect. Um, they are trying to do damage control. I mean, it was withdrawn, but it was approved by the the individual who is the leader, General Petal, um, Brian Petal. He is the one in charge of the Salvation Army. He's the one who approved the guide. So it's not that some little committee off to the side approved it. They approved it from on top, and they decided to kind of Pull, pull it out so they can get some more donations. Look, I love the work of the Salvation Army, but an evangelical Christian church has to stop denying that, one, Jesus is the Savior, and two, that we can only apply biblical solutions to a very, very worldly, uh, I'm sorry, very spiritual problem. Ryan, in about 30 seconds, how should people be responding to Salvation Army now? Well, I have friends who are Salvationists who work, some who are actually in leadership at the Salvation Army. So work from within. Uh, put pressure on the Salvation Army to adhere to the words that they're saying. When when Commissioner Hodder says, we only believe in the Bible, well, then follow through. So I would say, you know, pressure those inside to actually return to those biblical roots because it is an incredible organization. And I hate to see another evangelical organization fall by the wayside and disregard the truth that sets all of us free. Ryan Baumberger, Radiance Foundation. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Joseph. Coming up, the White House says Build Back Better is going to improve the economy. We have an economist who thinks otherwise. We'll talk to him when we come back. Stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. 
In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Welcome back, friends, to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting This has been a tough year for President Biden. He's made a lot of claims that he may now regret, including his claim that he will shut down the coronavirus or that the withdrawal from Afghanistan would not be, quote, a hasty rush to the exit. He may also regret statements about inflation. Here's what he had to say back in June. And by the way, talk of inflation, the overwhelming consensus is going to pop up a little bit and then go back down. No one's talking about this great, great deal. So, again, if it turns out that what I've done so far, what we've done so far, is a mistake, it's going to show. It's going to show. Well, a few weeks after that, In pitching his Build Back Better plan on July 19th, President Biden told Americans that if your primary concern right now is inflation, you should be even more enthusiastic about this plan. When Republicans in the House voted last month against Build Back Better, the White House said this. You saw every single Republican uh, in the House vote against Build Back Better. What were they voting against? Yes, they were voting against the president's agenda. They were also voting against lowering costs. So is a vote against Build Back Better a vote against lowering costs? With me now to talk about this is economist Stephen Moore, who is a senior fellow at Freedom Works and a co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Stephen, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Joseph. Great to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for taking some time on this Christmas week. You heard Jen Psaki's comments there uh, two weeks ago uh, saying that a Build Back Better, uh, voting no on Build Back Better is a vote against lowering costs. What's your response to that? Well, um, I I mean, obviously, that's a non sequitur. If you're going to borrow more money and spend more money and print more money, inflation is going to get worse. This is just basic, you know, uh, seventh grade economics. And and most Americans don't. That's a laugh line. No, No American outside of the White House, really believes that passing this bill would uh, would would uh, solve the inflation problem. It would, it'll increase prices that you pay at the grocery store and the gas pump. Um, 
I've got to say this about Build Back Better. You know, I've been working, uh, leading a coalition of about 75 um, conservative groups, including pro-life groups and uh, taxpayer groups and, you know, anti-big government groups. And I got to tell you, I mean, everybody, there's something in this bill that everybody hates. It's it's an assault on the entire conservative agenda. And so uh, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that so many groups, uh, including FRC, really stepped up and made the case to the American people that this bill is a disaster. And, and thank God Senator Manchin came out against it. Well, that's kind of you to say. We appreciate that. And and it may, in fact, uh, be dead, though. It seems President Biden. (laughs) No, President Biden has expressed some some hopefulness for sure. And in Washington, D.C., few things are are totally dead, it seems. But there you mentioned that the, the statement that Build Back Better would decrease costs and decrease inflation is a laugh line. But why is there this disconnect? How can serious people say that with a straight face? But as you said, anybody who's taken seventh grade economics would know that not to be true. Why would the White House say that if it's so obviously not true? Well, uh, Joseph, why would the White House say that this bill wouldn't cost a dime? Remember that one? This isn't going to cost anything. It's not going to increase the deficit by one dime. It's free. It's, it's, you know, it's all paid for. And then we find out two weeks ago, no, it, uh, it, it's not going to increase the budget by a dime. It's going to increase the budget deficit by $3 trillion. I mean, they, they just haven't been truthful about anything about this bill. They will say anything, no matter how deceitful it is, to try to get this across the finish line. Um, so I'm not surprised they would make these outrageous claims. And actually, the more they say that, the more the support for the bill uh, you know, falls. I'm reminded of what my great friend Herman Cain, remember Herman Cain uh, ran for president and a great conservative leader once wrote a book called They Think We're Stupid. And sometimes I think these liberals think we're stupid and we're not as the American people are not as stupid as they think they we are. Well, there what there is is agreement that prices are, in fact, going up. The causes sure. of that there there are disputes about that. And last Tuesday. Jen Psaki tried to claim that specifically meat prices were going up because of private sector profiteering. I want to play that clip for you and then get your response. People go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, It is the prices are higher. That is, in his view uh, and the view of our secretary of agriculture, because of you could call it corporate greed. Sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, during a pandemic. Now, of course, companies do want to maximize profit. Is it wrong to blame them for price increases? Well, no. I mean, the reason the companies are in business is to make a profit. If they don't make a profit, they're out of business. Uh, but it's a competitive market. I mean, you can, if you don't like the, the uh, meat prices at Safeway, you can go to Giant. If you don't like the Giant, you can go to Whole Foods. You can go to, you know, 20 different grocery stores. So it's not as if this is some kind of monopoly. What's happening here? is that we have so massively expanded the federal budget with trillions and trillions of dollars. Remember, even without Build Back Better, we've already added, by my calculations, when you include the trillion-dollar bill that passed in the last months of Trump for COVID, um, $4 trillion of additional spending on top of the normal budget. So we've just been flooding the zone with cheap money, and that causes inflation. It's as simple as that. I was lucky enough to have known Milton Friedman, 
even before he died, maybe the greatest economist who ever lived. And Milton Friedman is famous for saying that inflation is just too many dollars chasing too few goods. And that's exactly what we have right now in the American economy. Why do so many in Congress, I'm asked the form of this, but I'm going to ask it in a slightly different way, because there seems to be this sense uh, that we are not spending enough money. And we have, over a long period of time in this country, heard these concerns that the train is going to run out of track. You can't just keep borrowing and spending. For my entire lifetime, I've heard those arguments, yet it appears the train has not yet run out of track. Why is that? And is this something that can happen indefinitely? You know, it's a very scary situation for our country right now. Uh, you, you started this conversation by talking about Joe Biden's record over the last year. And I think it's been catastrophic, catastrophic. I can't, in my lifetime, I don't remember a president who's had a worse first year in office. And almost everything he's done on the economy has been wrong. They've increased spending, they've increased debt, they've increased inflation, they've uh, increased money printing, massive increases in the size of government, which is exactly the opposite of what we want right now. Look, uh, we should be starting to cut back on government spending uh, after the trillions of dollars we spent in 2020 on COVID. And so um, this is all just about the government taking control of the economy. You know, for example, they want to have a, you know, $100 billion program for child care. Well, child care is just basically somebody babysitting, somebody taking care of your kids. And they're going to provide all these subsidies. But did you know this, Joseph? If you put your kid in a church or religious-based child care center, you don't get the you don't get any of the benefits. I mean, why is that? That just seems like it's discrimination against people of faith. Well, that wouldn't be the first instance of that, certainly right. written into federal policy. Um, fortunately, it is not yet law, so we do not have to deal with that. But my assumption would be, were it to become law, that issue uh, would be litigated. But another mm -hmm. another kind of macroeconomic question I have for you is that we know. Well, you, that too much money in the economy creates inflation because you have too many dollars chasing right. too few goods. Right. But we also know that not enough money can harm the economy in different ways. Economies have contracted over time. As, mm -hmm. as policymakers, as um, the, the Federal Reserve has something to do with this, what's the proper way to balance the tension between not enough money that, that shrinks the economy and too much money so that we have inflation? Great question, Joseph. And you're right. You know, there is something actually worse than inflation. And that's deflation, where, you know, you get too little money and then the economy just contracts and that can cause a severe, uh, you know, recession uh, that happened during the Great Depression. Uh, what I believe, you know, I was nominated by President Trump to be on the Federal Reserve Board. And you know, I was controversial because what I said is we should have a rule at the Fed. We shouldn't have these, you know, Federal Reserve Board members just making up the rules as they go along. And the rule should be something. And remember, for 100 years, we had a gold standard in this country where they got the, the dollar was fixed to the gold price. Now, would I support a gold standard now? I would support it over what we have now, but I'd maybe take a basket of goods, you know, the price of copper, corn, wheat, oil, gas, look at the commodities and make sure that those are pretty much stable in price. The whole reason you have a currency is as a means of uh, transferring, you know, uh, means of exchange, but also it has to be a store of value. If you have a currency that's just going up and down and up and down, it, it loses its function. And I would submit to you, by the way, Joseph, this is one of the reasons people are moving to these cryptocurrencies like 
Bitcoin and others because they don't feel that they can trust central bankers, whether it's the United States or in Europe or in China, to control the currency. And they don't trust the politicians to keep to stop the spending and debt. And, and, and for good reason, because everybody's looking at it in the United States. I mean, when I first came to Washington, we were running a hundred billion dollar a year deficit. Now we're running two trillion dollar deficits. It's it's insane. It's a it's a prescription for financial disaster. I don't know if it's going to happen in 22 or 23 or 24, but if we keep this up, there will be a financial disaster. I want to ask you about that. You mentioned cryptocurrency, which a lot of people are turning to because they don't trust the monetary right. policymakers right. right now. What's your perspective on that? Is that the future? Is it dangerous? I support cryptocurrencies because they take away the monopoly power of government over money. Now, would I invest in cryptocurrencies? Um, you know, I'm not an expert at it enough to know whether it's a good investment or not. But it certainly makes sense as an investor to hold some amount of some either gold or cryptocurrency or something that's not tied to the dollar because of this ruinous, reckless government fiscal policy we have today. And so I think that cryptos have the benefit of keeping these central bankers honest. Isn't it interesting, by the way, Joseph, that now what does the government want to do? They want to regulate the cryptocurrencies. Right. You know, they want to have control over it because it's all about government controlling your money, your resources, and the money that you have in the bank. That is indeed a rabbit hole that I am sure I actually would enjoy going down with you, but this is not the time for that. Back on the question of inflation, we hear about inflation across different sectors. We have energy prices, we have food prices, mm -hmm. we have retail prices. Mm -hmm. When thinking about the policy that affects inflation, is it better to think about inflation as a singular thing that affects everything? Or do you turn dials with each industry, within each sector of the economy? Again, a great question. And I've been looking at this for a long time, uh, you know, over the last 25 years. So can you predict or can you guess what two industries over the last 25 years have had the most inflation? Well, I think it's healthcare and uh, higher education. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you got it. Now, think about that for a minute, folks. Healthcare and, and education, those are the two industries with the most inflation and prices. Gee, what do those have in common? Oh, yeah, the government runs those industries. So this is ironic, isn't it, that the two industries that we have the government control are the ones with the highest prices. And when I ask my liberal friends, why do we have the government run the healthcare and education industries? And they say to make it affordable. Gee, they're doing a great job of it, right? And I, the reason I mention this is now they want the government to run the child care industry. Now, right. Joseph, if they run the child care industry, do you think that's going to make it cheaper or more expensive? Right. I, I submit to yeah. you it's going to be more expensive, just like everything they touch goes to ruination. We don't want the government right. in the child care industry. It's doing fine. I hear Joe Biden say, how are parents going to possibly survive without all these subsidies? They've been doing it for 200 years. <laughs> Or long, actually, much longer than 200 years. Why on <laughs> earth? Why on earth would anyone <laughs> want to lower prices if you're if you had guaranteed customers? If you had exactly. a federal government uh, guaranteeing that whatever price you demand is going to be paid, that of course disincentivizes anyone from reducing uh, their overall costs. Now, when you look at the current situation we're in economically. Is there a historical comparison that you think we, that is instructive that we can look back on and say, people have been here before, this is what they did, that was a mistake or that was the right thing to do? Yeah, I would say it would be the 1970s. 
And I'm old enough to remember the 1970s. I was a teenager during the late 70s when Jimmy Carter was president. And I remember, uh, in fact, I was working as a grocery store clerk at the local grocery store in my neighborhood. And every time I would come in, we'd have to take those little stickers that you before they had the barcodes, and we'd have to put higher sticker prices on all the cans of vegetables and the and the box of Wheaties and so on because prices were ri rising out of control. And that's because we had a president. Jimmy Carter, who just did not get control of of, uh, of the debt and the out-of-control government spending. And I feel like that's a real historical parallel to what's happening now. And the lesson we learned from the 70s is once, you know, inflation started at 2 or 3%, and then went to 4%, and then 6%, 8%. It was like a snowball rolling down a hill, gathering more snow. And I think that the Biden administration better get serious about this. For, you're not going to get rid of inflation by wishing it away. You have to take steps to control the supply of money and to increase the supply of goods and services, which is why raising taxes right now is crazy. We should not be raising the taxes. As you know, I, I helped uh, Donald Trump put together his tax plan. And what we did was we created so many jobs and so many businesses moved into the United States from the rest of the world. So if you get an increase in the supply of goods and services, prices go down. Um, and I'm afraid these taxes are going to reduce the supply of goods and services. At the same time, we're increasing the money supply. I don't want to get too complicated here, but you get fewer goods and services and more money in the economy. That is a prescription for disaster. Stephen Moore, Freedom Works. thank you so much for your time. I could go on for hours, but we don't have those. Thanks for being with us and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And the economy, just another way in which the laws are not made by us, they're made for us. And what we have to do is simply recognize the world as it is. And if we do, everyone ends up in better shape. That's the program for today, folks. Whatever the economic policy, remember, just fear God, nothing else. It's going to be all right. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.